Welcome to episode number 15 of Off the Shelf. Whoa, they tell me. My name is Rod Bergen, and we're delighted to have you with us today on Off the Shelf, a podcast that looks at what it means to be a true follower of Jesus in the context of Scripture and the message of William Branham. We have now reached into 92 countries with our podcast, and I want to welcome everyone listening, wherever you may be in the world, from Togo to Sri Lanka. And yes, we have listeners in both those countries. Today, we are continuing our interview with Jeff Jenkins. Jeff was the pastor of a message church in Lima, Ohio for almost 35 years, but left the message when he discovered the truth about William Branham. In this segment of the interview, I specifically refer to a sermon that Chad Lamb spoke in Lima, Ohio on August 10, 2014, after we had published several articles and videos on the cloud. After I recorded the interview with Jeff, I thought that it would help our listeners if they could actually hear a couple of clips from Chad Lamb's sermon. I have inserted these brief excerpts directly into the interview after the fact. My co-host, Brian Lynch, is not with me today as he was traveling when we recorded the interview with Jeff. So let's jump back into the interview with Jeff on the subject of the cloud. One thing Chad Lamb says, and and this this was quite disturbing for me. There's not one picture, not one reported sighting, nothing between California and Flagstaff, Arizona. Nobody saw it until all of a sudden it appeared over Flagstaff. He says Flagstaff was the first picture, which is wrong. There were pictures before Flagstaff as the sun started to set. But he doesn't understand noctilucent clouds, which means he didn't even read the research on our website. No. I'm sorry. That's yeah. just bad, inadequate, poor research. Right. You know, Owen Jorgensen has published these books, which are a fictionalized account of William Brown's life story. Right. But the biggest problem I have with him, he didn't do any research. He assumed that what William Branham said was the truth. So he actually says William Branham went to Egypt to visit King Farouk. Yeah. Could not possibly have happened no. because King Farouk was deposed two years earlier and was in Monaco in Europe and not in Egypt. Right. So there's statements in this that is completely from the from the historical evidence not true. No, it's shoddy. And everybody just says, well, if William Branham said it, it must be be true. Yeah. And then in Chad's sermon, things go from bad to worse in that he says the cloud was moving towards William Branham in Tucson. No. But that's totally contrary to what the science reported. Yeah. The cloud didn't move towards Sunset Mountain or Rattlesnake Mason. The other thing I actually found quite disturbing from a spiritual standpoint is that there's no question that the Bible uses numbers symbolically. Right. But what Chad did in his sermon is what I would call numerology. Yeah. 
And what people need to understand is the ancient Babylonians and, and Egyptians had developed numerology based on astrological divination, which was completely forbidden in Hebrew scriptures. Mm -hmm. The ancient Chaldeans sectioned the stars into 12 regions, which is the zodiac. Right. And numerology is also found in Hinduism, Buddhism, yes, magic is. texts, and other occultic pagan, rather, religions. Yeah. Kabbalism. Yeah. Kabbalism's full of numerology. So, but in, in contrast to the numerical speculation that happens in pagan religions, mm -hmm. the Hebrew scriptures use numbers in their conspicuous, literal sense. Mm -hmm. Although sometimes and occasionally numbers may have a representative meaning, but they're out there in plain view. Right. Even in Daniel and Isaiah, prophetic symbolism is rooted in historical data. The meaning of the numbers is not buried for the mystic to find. No. What Chad Lamb does is quite bizarre, and I, I don't think I'd be incorrect in stating that what he did has its roots in paganism hmm. and the occult. But he says well, what we need to watch is a sequence of prime numbers. This is really critical. Now, before we go any further, I don't want to go any further until you get on your piece of paper, and I want you to write down a list of numbers. And these numbers are going to be really important as we go on. First, write down the number two. I'm going to give you a list of prime numbers. I'm going to give you the first eight prime numbers in sequence. Two, three, five, seven, 11, 13, 17, and 19. Then below that, I want you to write down the number four and the number eight. And then I want you to write the number 28 and the number 10. When you put 10, put a slash mark and put 7, because 10 and 7 go together. And where you have 28, make a slash mark and put 17, because 28 and 17 go together. 7 and 10 go together, 28 and 17 go together. All right? Where's that in the Bible? Yeah. And then you take 4 and 8, and then 28 and 10, and then 10 and 7 go together, and 28 and 17 go together, and 2 and 10 go together. What? Yeah, exactly. Like, where do you get that out of the Bible? I know. Honestly, why would somebody preach something that he actually said he didn't understand? See, those things mean something to me. I can't tell you what they mean. I don't understand it all. I, I actually understand it. It's the realm of paganism. Right, exactly. It's not what Paul preached. No. It's not what Jesus preached. No. And sure, you know, I know the book of Revelation is filled with numbers, but the numbers are spelled out. They aren't hidden. Right. 17. If you separate 17, you have 10 and 7. And you have Revelations 10.7. What? And then he starts talking about the number 28, its significance in the lunar cycle. Yeah. And the problem with this, the whole cult of numbers, which Chad appears to be a member of, it's been around for thousands of years. Yeah. Pythagoras, who died around 500 BC, believed in the mystical property of numbers. And Pythagoras and his followers came to the conclusion that all is number. Mm -hmm. 10 was a sacred number. Largely because it's the sum of the first four digits. You add one, two, three, and four together, you get ten, which is how many fingers we have, how many mm -hmm. toes we have as well. Mm -hmm. But searching for strange numbers can lead to really bizarre beliefs. I'll give you an example. Did you know that Princess Diana was murdered? Right. By whom? By whom, you might yeah. ask? It's supposed to be the paparazzi, but, you know. Well, think, well, they were chasing her. But now, yeah. if you say, if I, I, there are people who say Princess Diana was murdered. And you say, well, who was she murdered by? Well, think 13. Do you know that the, the Mercedes in which she died crashed into the 13th pillar in the Pont de Alma? And this happened on August the 31st, which is 13 backwards? 
<laughs> and Diana was in her 37th year. Now remember the crucial date, Friday the 13th, 1307. Take out the one and the zero and you get you get 37. That's how old oh. she was. And oh. it starts with 13. Oh my this is, goodness. This is amazing. Yeah. And Di, after all, is named after the moon goddess Diana and Pont Dalma Tunnel was a sacred site dedicated to the moon goddess Diana, which they used to practice ritual sacrifices. And during those ceremonies, it was of utmost importance that the sacrificed victim died inside the underground temple. So Princess Di's murder was a reenactment <laughs> of an ancient pagan tradition. So where is this all leading? Nowhere. Nowhere. It's nowhere. nowhere. It's going nowhere. It's all pagan nonsense. And this is what Chad Lamb does in his sermon. Yeah. And Chad Lamb, he quotes William Branham, who said, if you don't know the numeric of the Bible, you're sure to get it wrong. What does that mean? Yeah. Exactly. And then he goes on to say, so if you think I'm crazy, I'm on good ground because I'm just as crazy as the prophet was. Oh, my. And I agree with this, yeah, uh, with yeah, Chad on yeah. this. And that's the heart of the problem. Mm -hmm. William Branham's use of the cloud as his vindication is completely a fabrication. It is. And Chad admit, admits some things, which I was thankful for. Although he, you know, he still arrived this bizarre place. He acknowledged that William Branham moves further away from the story, and he doesn't know why. Yeah. But William Branham was a prophet, so maybe he was speaking prophetically when he kept changing the details of his stories. Oh my! But you know, anybody in the justice system knows that a person telling the truth will never change the details no. of their account. Why? Because the truth is the, is the truth. It doesn't change. No, it doesn't. Mark Twain said this: If you tell the truth. You don't have to remember. No, anything. you don't. And here, that's the key. If I if I approached um, my, the, theologically, if I approached the search for truth the way ministers do in the message, then then you can swallow anything because after all, in what they boil it down to is after all, he was vindicated. Yeah. And and of course, then really, when you begin to um, study the so-called vindication. You have you have virtually nothing left. There was the brown beer wasn't fulfilled. The sixteen men on the bridge that were supposed to have died wasn't fulfilled. Yeah, everything that he said about how his first wife died wasn't true. Uh, his his supposed to be being poor and having no education because his father was sickly. Uh, he was I think close to thirty seven years old uh, when his dad died. So there was all this time he could have easily gotten an education. Um, you know, just all fabrications, one hundred percent fabrication. And, and yet he's vindicated. Yeah. And, and this is where you know, things start moving out at the end, yeah. close to the end of the sermon. He says, are you confused yet? Yeah, Absolutely, yeah, Chad. Yeah. I'm just totally sure. confused. Yeah. In fact, in my yeah. view, poor research plus bad logic plus what's called confirmation bias, which, which I won't go into, equals a confused explanation. That's yeah. what you've got. It is. And so when he says, do you think I'm crazy? Do you think I've gone too far? Do you think this is a stretch, or do you think this is God? God's not crazy. No. And then he says, my oh my, this is insane, and which is probably the most accurate statement in the entire sermon. Yeah. Then, I mean, he actually says he tried to find articles on the Internet about rainbows created by moonlight, and he couldn't find any. I went to look up moonbeam rainbows, and I cannot find one article on the Internet about a rainbow made by moonbeams. I can't find it anywhere. How rare of a phenomenon is that? Super rare. I did one search. Rainbows created by moonlight. You know how many, you know how many results I got? 12.9 million. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he didn't search very hard. No. 
So when someone says, did you hear Chad Lamb's sermon? I go like, really? Did you actually listen to it? So what if it looks like the facts don't line up? Just wait patiently. I categorically dismiss everything he said in his sermon. Yeah. And and that, once again, Brother Bram lays the framework and the groundwork for uh, us as pastors to be little mystics ourselves. Yeah. And, and that is so wrong. We're supposed to be stewards and students of the word and taking everything back through prayer and study and diligence into the scriptures, something again that uh, we w- that uh, most messengers message preachers and and, and I want to say this too the I found a lot of the ministers in the message they won't say uh, well I don't believe William Branham was correct there they just don't preach a good portion of what Brother Branham taught and I'm amazed at how many ministers I've run into who who um, who believe Brother Branham was a prophet, but they don't know how to explain that either. Uh, they believe that somehow he's connected with uh, being a messenger to the age, but they don't know, you know, really how that ties into their. Because when I the bottom line, what I ask them every time is, is I said, do you believe you have to receive William Branham in order to be saved? And they everyone have told me in the message, no, of course not. And I'm thinking, well, then what book are you reading? What Kool-Aid are you drinking? Because Brother Bram basically said his message was the bleeding word. Let me let me ask you this question, because you talked about this in the conversation we had prior to, to uh, going on the air with the podcast. And that is mm-hmm. that's something that has impacted you very deeply is when you ask yourself the question outside the message, what is God doing in the world? Oh, my. Yes. Yeah, you and I discussed that before we got on air. And that is is that now that um, my worldview is in, in essence what Jesus Christ is doing in the world and not what Jesus Christ is just doing in a handful of people, um, then I see Jesus everywhere. I see God supernaturally moving in visions, revealing his word, coming to people uh, and making himself very real. I just took uh, uh, three days and I did a study on the Messianic Jews. And it's not a hard thing to do. Just get on YouTube and type in Messianic Jew. And you get to hear testimony after testimony after testimony of how God is dealing with these Wall Street Jews, these intellectuals, these doctors, these lawyers in America, and how that they one by one by one accepted the Messiah. And so my question, I guess, is could a message believer really stop could that bring tears to their eyes could they could they stop and say wow god is so relevant to more than just us god is doing supernatural things in uh, other venues and areas and uh you know when i look at what god's doing in syria right now and how many tens of thousands of muslims are coming to jesus christ right now how that china's having an underground revival and again could the message people stop and say, this is wonderful. How exciting. Or would it actually, what would happen if God started to move in America or Canada and revival started to break out? You know, that would completely upset their theological apple cart. They don't want a revival. They want California to sink. They want judgment to strike. And they want this all to end so they can get their new body. And that's what Brother Branham taught. And by the way, Billy Paul 
won't be an old man before uh, sharks are swimming around the May Company. And so Billy yeah, Paul's going to yeah. die very soon. So what are they going to do with California and its sinking? And even the dimensions that Brother Branham gave, 1,500 miles long, uh, 350 miles wide, all came from Reader's Digest and other magazines. And so William Branham didn't get, didn't get for prophecy. He, he, he gleaned that from geologists and, and vulcanists and seismologists. And everybody's known since time and memoriam that California is vulnerable to a major earthquake. So it's their paradigm is so narrow. So again, back to my thought, Rod. Yeah. What happened if God did something in Canada? What if a major revival started? I mean, look what you're seeing. I mean, what are you seeing? Oh yeah, we're we're seeing. And we had in, in through our ministry, we had uh, last year thirty five thousand people come to Christ. Yeah, and of course, in the message, they'd say, "Nah, they didn't really accept Jesus." It's probably like a Billy Graham crusade. You know, they went up punching one another and chewing bubble gum. This is real. You've seen it. You witnessed this. I'm watching. We. I was in tears the other night. We do teens for Christ, and three. Uh, I can't remember the exact number, but I think if I got it right, it was 317,000 conversions throughout the world. And then we went – what we did is we would clap every time we mentioned a high school in our area that we've introduced Jesus Christ to the students. And you should have seen it. Hundreds of students in Lima, Ohio are accepting Jesus Christ. But in the message, nah, you know, it's just the cross. You know, it's just, you know, you know, basic salvation and – you know, that's shocking to me. That's actually offensive to me now. I'm a big fan of a, um, an author by the name of Tim Keller, actually pastor mm-hmm. of a church in New York City for mm-hmm. many, many years. He wrote a book called The Prodigal God, which when I first heard mm-hmm. it, I was kind of taken aback by the, by the title of the book. But mm-hmm. he used the old-fashioned, the prodigal actually means over the top. Hmm. Mm. And not wayward. It doesn't mean wayward. It means prone to extravagancy. How interesting. And that the sin of the younger brother and the older brother was the same. The sin was, and Jesus was telling, you have to remember who Jesus was telling the parable of the prodigal son to. Mm. He was telling it to the Pharisees. And or when they heard this, they knew who Jesus was talking about when he talked about the older brother. Mm. He was talking about the Pharisees. They were in it for the reward. Mm. They thought if they did what God told them to do and obeyed God, that, mm-hmm. that when when the father, you know, when the father was time for them to get the inheritance, they would get mm-hmm. their reward. But the problem with the older brother who refused to go into the feast when invited by his father, the older brother had the same problem as the younger brother did initially. He didn't love his father. True. The father loved both of them. Yes. But people in the message are akin to the older brother. They're sitting there Mm -hmm. saying, well, if I do good and obey God Mm -hmm. and live according to the message and jump through all the message hoops and regulations that God has to bless me and God is going to give me my reward. He's Mm. going to take me in the rapture. Yeah. And that's not the reason we serve Christ. We serve him out of love. He wants worship. He wants us to pour our lives and to help the poor, to help the needy. Which never happens in message churches. No, not at all. They do not. 
they do not know how. And I and I I did a little case study myself, personal studies. I went from uh, ministers meeting to ministers meetings in Lima, Ohio, to meet the ministry of Lima to see what they were doing for the community. And it was so touching to see how many of them were in in, in, in simple ways. Some of them were um, going to the abortion clinic and standing in front of the door and say, please do not abort your baby. We have other methods. We can help you. And uh, some of them were uh, making sure that they, uh, that they had uh, coats for people in the wintertime and shoes. And they were handing out, uh, making, gathering funds to be able to get food at a particular uh, soup kitchen. And, you know, you might have a few individuals here and there in the message that would do that. And God bless them. But it's never promoted from the pulpit. Uh, they don't knew, They do not know. They're dysfunctional. They do not know how to reach out to the community. And uh, because they're all waiting for this supernatural rapture, uh, they're waiting to read the newspaper and find out a major events are taking place either in Israel or Russia or somehow that, I mean, I'm never, I, it's, they're looking for catastrophe and not blessings. Uh, here, I got a quote for you. I want you to tell me if you might know the, the author of this quote. It is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Ah, boy, I don't, I haven't heard that before. I that, mean, it's a very that, good quote. That that is your friend Tim Keller. <laughs> He's good. That spoke to me. It is not the strength of your faith. See, in the message, it's the strength of your faith, but yeah. it's the object of your faith that actually saves you. And so, my object now is one person, Jesus Christ. Absolutely, it's not William Branham. It's not the revelations. It's not the deeds that I do or that I enforce. Did you know another thing? Revelation I came to Rod is is that I cannot actually mandate a dress code because the Bible, the New Testament, doesn't. It just says be yeah. modest, and then yeah. the young girl or young married woman or something like that or whatever it might be, they have to pray and seek God along with perhaps their father or their husband and work together to find out what modesty means. But I can't get out of measure and say this is the kind of dress or these are the kind of slacks or you shouldn't wear this. I have no Bible for that, and yet in the message – you know, there's the favorite quote is, if you don't preach clothesline, you're not preaching the gospel. Well, in reality, to preach clothesline is not the gospel. Well, in, in fact, it's the holiness of the Pharisees. It is. You need to do this, do this, do this, do this. Whereas holiness is to be an attitude of the heart. It's yes. It's how we live it is. in love towards everyone. It is. It is. And anything that has to do with modesty, as a person grows in Christ— they will mature and develop. And whether it's a man's comportment, the Bible says, uh, lift up holy hands without doubt and without wrath. Likewise, women adorn themselves in modest apparel. It has to do with the order of the heart, the arrangement of the heart, not just the arrangement of the clothes. The arrangement of the heart comes first, and then a person matures or develops. But in the message, I had one girl tell me, I'll never forget it. She said, you know, Jeff, the reason I didn't go to the altar this morning is because I know that if people saw me at the altar the next week, they would expect me to be in a dress, and I'm not ready for that. And I thought, that is sad, but that is yeah, true. very sad. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. of course, you know, and, and this is something, we, we actually have got another article on this, uh, studied this, is that William Brown, what he did is mix law and grace. Yeah, he did. And in fact, you know, he said the law was magnified, not changed. Yeah. And... The problem is that's not what actually the Bible doesn't say that 
that Jesus magnified the law. He no. fulfilled it. The reason he, it. Jesus said, whoever commits adultery shall be guilty of death, but whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after yes. has already committed yes. a, 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 a adultery in his heart. The reason Christ said that is so that it was very clear that I can never meet the law. I can't meet it. By myself. No. I can't do it. No, I can't. It. And in fact, people in the message have a very low view of the law because they actually think they can, they can, they can meet it. Yeah, they do. I have a very high view of the law. Yeah. I know I can't make I can't. it. And therefore, I have a very high view of grace. That's right. They have a low view of grace. Yeah, they do. I have a very high view of grace because I need God's grace in my life. I need his mercy because I cannot attain salvation by anything that I do. As you said, it's not the strength of my faith. It's the object of my faith. Christ yeah. saves me nothing else. Nothing there's else. There's nothing I can do that can make Jesus or God love me more. That's right. Or make him love me less. It either is a free gift or it's works. And you can't have it both ways. And so it is, as Jesus said, a free gift. And because salvation and the new birth are free gift, the Bible calls the Holy Ghost the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the message is if you get sanctified enough, you might get the Holy Ghost. But in the Bible says it's the gift of God. So if I receive the Holy Ghost, that's a free gift. And in being free, then what happens is, is now I'm free to watch my motives and uh, check why I do what I do. Uh, if it's by the letter and measurements, then I can have long hair, no makeup, I can not smoke, I cannot drink, and therefore I can look, I, I have a tangible means by which to say I must be filled with the Holy Spirit. But if I smoke, I must not be filled. Or if I lie, I must not be filled. Or if I lust, I must not be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, um, you know, that's why so many times when I traveled as an evangelist, the question I got asked over and over and over from honest teenagers was, is how do I know I'm born again? You cannot explain the new birth according to William Branham. You cannot do it yeah, because it's yeah. works-based. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Well, in fact, you know, Jesus didn't sweep the law under the carpet. Mm -mm. He didn't do away with it. He came and fulfilled every requirement of the law perfectly on our behalf. So by Jesus, the law has been fulfilled. This is what exactly. I told uh, my wife one night. I said, did you know that, that Jesus did not redeem us from the curse of sin? Right. So, what, what? <laughs> she said, what are you saying? And I said, well, read Galatians 3.13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Right being made a curse for us. Yeah. Sin was in the world before the law was given, right. Paul says in Romans 5, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is nope. no law. Where there is no law. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Right. And in fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, but if the ministry that produced death carved in letters on stone tablets. So yeah. Paul called the Ten Commandments the ministry that produced death. And William yep. Branham tried to bring that curse back into our lives. And that's what was so frustrating, right? You know, people right now will say, Rod, that's not true in the message. But what about the so-called vision that he had of a woman wearing high-heeled shoes and him screaming to her, lady, you can't walk up that stairway with those high-heeled shoes on. Then he said, I saw her fall off the pathway, screaming all the way down to hell. Well, you know, you know, again, he's already judging this woman based upon what she looks like and how she's dressing. Maybe he's saying, well, you know, her, her motive was arrogant, blah, 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 blah. But the scripture doesn't bring up anything about what 
her apparel should look like. You, you, they say, well, they walk with mincing feet and they jangling this and and uh, their 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 quimples and their and their you know so on and so forth. But what God does is He says, "Come to me. I want to offer you a free gift." And and for instance, Rod, what if you said to Cindy, and I had this happen to a sister to, that came to me, what if you said to Cindy, Cindy, God told me you're supposed to marry me. Well, therefore, her love is not even an issue. Whether she's attracted to you is not an issue, God said. And so all of, all of a sudden, even if she loved you, she would now be afraid of you because you're you're using a big stick. A big stick. I mean, you're using the authority, God said. And so, but what if you came to her and you said, you know, and your courtship was of such that she fell in love with you and you fell and you were gifts to one another. And then that relationship would grow. You would disappoint each other. You would learn from your mistakes. You would say sorry a lot. But it's all based upon the fact that she had the freedom to choose you. And you had the freedom to choose her. And so in the message, so much of uh, what is um, – in the holiness movement, there there is no choice. You know, I was talking to a minister not long ago, and he said, Jeff, in light of coming out of the message, what do you think about wine now? And I said, well, first of all, I've never preached to my congregation that can't drink wine. I said, because the scripture is very clear, be not drunk wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. So it's referring to the excess of wine. He says, well, I don't believe that. And I said, what do you mean? He says, no, Jesus never drank wine. That was grape juice. I said, hold it. I said, look at Corinthians. And it says there in Corinthians 11, this, don't you have homes to go in to, to drink? And yet you get drunk in the house of the Lord and you do this at the supper table. You can't get drunk with grape juice. They were having communion and at the same time drinking too much wine. I said, this was fermented wine. This is wine. And so it was interesting to listen. He's a holiness man, not in the message, but yeah. it's how, you know, they, they want somehow a rigid um, prescription to remove choice. And so I was asked in the message, Jeff, do you drink wine? Because you've said that you have no scripture against it. I said, no, I don't, only because I don't want to offend other messages people. But see, now I'm out of the message. And so somebody asked me today, do I drink wine? Well, I've tried several different types. I haven't found one I like yet, but I, I'm, not, I'm sure not going to get drunk. <laughs> exactly. That's the, the uh, it was clear yeah. that what Jesus did in his first miracle, yeah. he created somewhere between 80 and 120 gallons of wine. Good wine. And we know it was wine yeah. because the the master of the feast said, wow, most people serve the good wine first and then they serve the bad wine at the end. Yeah. Why? Because people have become slightly inebriated yes. and they don't notice that the wine is as, <laughs> is, is bad. Exactly. That's a whole deal behind tastes, it, right? Tastes good to them after about 15 cups, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, 80 to 120 gallons, It's it's uh, that's a lot. I mean, there's no question alcohol has created a huge amount of problems. Sure. And I wouldn't encourage anyone to drink, but I, I agree with you. There is nothing wrong with having. In fact, 
the one thing I couldn't understand about William Branham is he was told never to drink alcohol, but yet he did in communion. Right. And he completely disobeyed the angel's command. Right. Like, stuff just is, doesn't no. make any sense. And he would always <laughs> equate his ministry with the Nazarite vow. and yeah. uh, But he would pick and choose what part of the Nazarite vow he wanted to uh, align with, mostly akin to what John the Baptist did. But John the Baptist could not eat grapes either, by the way. He couldn't eat grapes. He couldn't eat grape leaves. Nope. He couldn't eat— Raisins. He couldn't go couldn't to a, go funeral. a funeral. So, yeah. The whole problem is that William Branham wanted to make himself appear to some as something he wasn't. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, Jeff, it's been great having this conversation with you. I'll bring it to a close now. And I just want to say once again, thank you very much yes. uh, for helping our listeners understand some of these very important issues. Well, thank you, Rod. And, uh, you know, I know it comes, I know it's dear to your heart and it's dear to mine. And what's dear is not to prove people wrong. It's to get them back to the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation through the cross alone. New birth, sanctification through the cross alone. Absolutely. We are in love with Jesus yeah. Christ. And that's why I'm doing these podcasts, yeah. because I want people to understand the truth of the gospel Amen. by taking off their message glasses yes. and actually seeing the word of God for what it really is. And it is amazing oh, when you look at it, I, taking off your message glasses. Everybody that's come out of the message that I talk to via email or letters or telephone they all say, Jeff, I can't describe to you the freedom I have. And it's not a freedom to sin. It's it's a freedom in Christ that's indescribable that I, I can tell you I never had in the message. I only had it in my first maybe year in the message. But the more I became ensconced into the teachings of William Brown, the more fear became a part and uh, of my faith and not just trust in Jesus Christ alone. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jeff. Yeah, God bless you, Rod. It's been a joy. God bless you. If you would like to send us an email, there's a link on the offtheshelf.life website or you can email me directly at rod at offtheshelf.life or you can reach Brian at brian with a y at offtheshelf.life. The Off the Shelf website also contains a comment section after each podcast. Just click on the title of the podcast and it will take you to the page for that specific podcast. The comment section is at the bottom of the page. Have a great week, everyone. Lie out in there.